We'll turn in your Bibles to the book of Jude this morning, to the book of Jude. That's the second to the last book of the Bible. And we continue in our series that we've entitled Heaven and Nature Sing, looking at the Christmas playlist and looking at songs that we sing during the Christmas season and spending time investigating them and understanding why they were written and the, what the words of those songs really mean, hopefully bringing greater substance and meaning to our celebration of Christmas. Let's face it, the Christmas celebration, unlike any other holiday that we have in our year's calendar, is all about music. Uh, we don't have music for the most part for Valentine's Day or for St. Patty's Day or, or for Flag Day or, or Veterans Day or Halloween or Thanksgiving. But Christmas comes around and the music starts to play. I saw this firsthand this week. I was catering at a distribution center, a huge distribution center uh, with hundreds upon hundreds of employees. And they were gathering uh, for their lunch shift. The, the lunchroom probably seated about 300 people. And it was full of people and they were busy eating and there was nothing special about what was going on in the moment. And then my eye caught the attention of this lady. This lady had Christmas spirit. She was dressed to the Christmas nine. She had a big Santa hat on that had a big ornament at the end of it that also was a sleigh bell. Everywhere she went, that bell was jingling, and she was exuding Christmas. And she walks into the lunchroom, and she looks around, and she's altogether unhappy with what she sees. People aren't very festive. It's Christmas. There's a holiday party going on. They brought a caterer in. It should be a festive time. She says, there's no music. Where's the music? And then she does the unthinkable. She starts belting out joy to the world. In front of 250, 300 people. And I remember sitting there as we were near the serving line going, oh boy, this is not going to be good. And wouldn't you know it, by the time she gets done with the first line, not everybody, but the vast majority of the people in that room join with her in singing Joy to the World. It was awesome. And nobody stopped and said, okay, our HR department said in our holiday celebrations that we will do this or that. Nobody in the PC department said, okay, we can't do this. That talks about Jesus and all that. People just enjoyed the opportunity to sing. There's something about Christmas that makes our hearts glad and our hearts want to sing. Now, there are some songs in our Christmas celebration that are so uniquely connected to the person who sings them that you can't separate the two. That, that to hear someone else do that song does a disservice. I, I asked our video team to put a montage together just as a, a way of reminding us that sometimes our Christmas celebrations are so uniquely connected to the ones who sing it that they can't be separated. Enjoy, sing along with some songs that we never can separate. Take a look.
I don't hear you singing. who sings them and it draws us in but there are certain songs in our Christmas celebration that have no musician there's no author that we know of there's no person who who's been put on the map because of that song and our song today is one of those songs God rest you merry gentlemen did you know we have no idea who wrote this song we don't know when exactly it was written. I'll give you a couple pieces of information from a date standpoint. The first time we ever even see mention of the song is in 1650. Someone alludes to it. And then in 1760, we see the first piece of sheet music that we still have today uh, of the melody and the words of this song. We know that this song would become popular because of an upstart novelist from London who in 1843 would write a Christmas classic called um, A Christmas Carol. When Charles Dickens uses this song as the melody that a London street choir would sing as Ebenezer Scrooge is making his way from work to home on that fateful night. And yet, not knowing who wrote it, not knowing why they wrote it, not understanding the circumstances behind its writing, this song has stood the test of time. And here's why, my friends, it doesn't need a musician because of the words that are contained in its lyrics. This song is a song that gives us great truth about why we should celebrate Christmas. And here's the problem. We think we know why it was written from its title. God rest ye, merry gentlemen. Real easy. 
During the Christmas season, God gives us rest. He gives us a couple days off. And we're happy for that. Therefore, it makes us a merry group of people, a happy people. Well, that is not the intention of its writing at all because we are doing our thinking in modern English, not in old English. Let's deal with a couple words. The word rest, God rest, isn't God give you a nap, God give you sleep. But literally in the old English, it meant uh, God keep you, God protect you, God watch over you, God watch over, God keep, God protect you, merry gentlemen. Now that starts to bring some meaning to it. But then we've got the word merry, and we think happy, joyful, but that's not the word that is being used there. In Old English, merry meant something altogether different. Uh, to help you with that, go back to the Old English writing of the storyline of Robin Hood. Robin Hood had his group of associates. We called them his merry men. Were they just these goof-off guys that just are happy all the time? Hey, we're happy. No, that's not what it was. They were the mighty associates. They were the mighty men that Robin Hood had as his group. So now we see, by looking at the old English of this, God keep, God protect, God watch over the mighty men and women of the faith. That is the purpose of this song. And this song is gonna tell us why we should have tidings of comfort and joy this Christmas because of what God is doing. So let's understand a couple things from the lyrics of this and then we'll pivot into the scriptures and close out our time. Number one, we need to recognize what the song reminds us of is a truth that we so often forget at Christmas and that is this truth. Write it down. We've all blown it with God. We've all blown it with God. We need to recognize what the writer says. The writer tells us, God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. And he goes on and he says this, remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. Why? Have you ever asked the question, why was Jesus born? Why did Jesus come? The writer here tells us, Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to do what? To save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. I love how our videos connect with the messages that we're preaching. Jake Wright told you exactly what happens to every man, woman, and child on this earth. God creates us. God endows us with incredible gifts and abilities. We start to enjoy those gifts and abilities, and we begin to start reading our own press and our own accolades, and we tell God, thank you for the gifts, but I don't need you. Thank you for the world you've created and all that you've given me for life and breath, and I'm gonna enjoy this world on my own. What the writer of the, of the song says is, what the prophet Isaiah told us many, many years ago. We all like sheep have gone astray, each going our own way. And so Christmas is a reminder to say, wait a minute, 
Why did Jesus come? Jesus came because you and I were far from God. We ran away from God. We ran away from God all the while taking all that God had given us and using it for ourselves, for our good, for our glory. And Jesus in his love and his mercy and his grace said, they're lost without me. And I need to come and I need to help them. Now, right away we see in the text that we had gone astray. Well, who cares? Who cares that we went astray? So we wanted to do things our own way. Who, who cares? Well, the problem is what happens when we go astray. Notice the text says that we were placed under Satan's power. You see, we're going to serve a master. The Bible makes that clear. We're either going to serve God, and he's a benevolent master. He is a, a, a good master, a gracious master. He's a master who turns slaves into sons. Or when we go astray and go our own way, we will become slaves to ourselves and the devil. And the problem with that is we start reaping the consequences of our sin. And so here we have this issue that we're not experiencing, as the songwriter says, tidings of comfort and joy. The book of Ephesians, which we'll start studying in the new year, tells us that we become objects of God's wrath. There's no joy there, but a fiery expectation of what God is going to bring. So how do we go from being people who are far from God to as the song will sing over and over again, tidings of comfort and joy? Here is the reason for Christmas. Christmas is a celebration, write this down, because someone bigger and better came to fix our problem. Someone bigger and better came to fix our problem. And so here we're far from God. Here our hearts are dismayed. We can't figure it out. We can't go it on our own. We thought we could. And the consequences of our sin are starting to mount on us. We're feeling the bondage of the devil as a result of our sin. And we are lost. We are without hope. And we don't have a prayer to try to remedy it on our own. And it is there on that night in Bethlehem that the angels announced to the shepherds someone bigger, someone better is coming. He is going to be called Emmanuel, God with us, because he will save his people from their sin. And so Christmas is a celebration that, number one, it's a reminder that we are lost, and it's a celebration that though we were lost, God in his mercy and grace sent his son Jesus to come and be bigger and better than two things. Write this down. Number one, your sin. Jesus is bigger and better than your sin. You need to recognize that this Christmas if you have found forgiveness in Jesus Christ, then listen to me. Every one of your sins, no matter how big and heinous it is, whether you are filled with shame, remorse, and regret, whether it was done publicly where you look so, so bad, or you, it, it, for you it's this hidden, private thing, whatever it is, no matter what you have done, God says, my grace is greater. And it covers it. 
There's nothing, there's no sin that will ever be able to separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, amen? And so we've got to take that as our gift. The gift of Christmas this year is our forgiveness, a forgiveness that is greater than any sin that we will ever commit in mind or in action. But there's even a greater enemy than our sin, and that is the devil himself. So we've got to deal with our sin, and Jesus is greater than that. And then we've got the enemy of Satan, and Jesus is greater than that. I love what one um, pastor said when he spoke about this. He said, God's capacity to forgive is greater than our capacity to sin. Take heart of that, friends. While our sin reaches far, God's grace reaches farther. It's a message revealing the radical contrast between the sinful heart of mankind and the gracious heart of mankind's creator. So it deals with the sin. But what about the devil? What about Satan? The text tells us in the song that we are under Satan's power. And for a long time, because of our rebellion, we had followed with the devil. And as a result of that, we found ourselves in his clutches. But Christmas comes, and Christ puts on flesh and makes his dwelling among us. And, and here's the hilarity of the story of Christmas. Take this in. Don't forget this. Jesus was about to address our greatest enemy, his sworn enemy. And, and if you and I, from a human standpoint, had to take on an enemy, we would get ready for it. We would do a little working out. We would make sure we strengthen our muscles. We'd probably take a couple fighting classes. We would make sure we are ready. And when we see him, we would puff out our chest, we would suck in our guts, and we would pretend we'd look really angry to try to scare our enemy, to prove our supremacy over our enemy. So here comes Jesus, and he's about to fight his enemy. And he doesn't puff up. He doesn't roll up his fists. He doesn't make sure he looks extra muscular. When Jesus comes to deal with our greatest enemy of sin and Satan, he shows up to earth as a baby in a manger. Now, why does he do that? I think he does it to mock the devil. Uh, hey, devil, you think you can beat me? I'll make myself a harmless baby. I'll, I'll put myself in a manger. Come and get me. Come and get me, devil. You want to destroy me. You've wanted to destroy me from the beginning. You've thought you were better than me. You thought you were equal to me. Then come and get me. And by the way, I'll help you. I'll tell you where I'm going to be born. Hundreds of years before, I'll give you a head start. I'm going to be born in Bethlehem. I'm going to be born of a virgin. I'm going to give you prophecy upon prophecy. You come and meet me at the OK Corral. I'll give you the head start. And then he says this, that maybe you're not as smart as I thought you might have been. You need a sign. So let me put a star in the sky. And let me tell you exactly where I'm at. Come and get me, devil. Come and get me and bring your sin and all of your debauchery and all of your hatred and all of your evil and bring it and let's have a showdown. And I'll then, I'll share with wise men. Why don't you follow them, devil, as they follow the star? And then I'm going to give my sworn earthly enemy, Herod, 
an opportunity to get me. So Herod says, hey, tell me where you find the child, the baby king, and I'll come and, and I'll worship with you, knowing he wants to kill me. So I tell him the place, I tell him the time, I give him the opportunity, and then when they come, <laughs> I'm going to give my earthly father a dream. We're going to leave town just in time so that your work is thwarted. Christmas is a time, listen to me, it is a time where Jesus Christ spikes the football and says, devil, I'm bigger and better than you'll ever be. Yeah. And so the scripture says this regarding what Jesus does. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, help me out there, guys. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, Jesus made a public spectacle. He's mocking the devil. I'm bigger. I'm better. I'm greater than you are. And I've done so by triumphing over all of it on the cross of Calvary. So brothers and sisters, what that means is that you and I no longer have to be in bondage to our sin. We no longer have to be in bondage to the devil because Jesus, when he saved us, not only saved us in the past, but listen to me, church, is saving us even now. Jesus is mocking the devil by saying, look at the people I'm saving. Look at how I'm changing them. Now, herein lies the problem. This is where the book of Jude comes into place. The problem we run into is here God has saved us from our sins. And what do we do? We sin more. God has uniquely given us his grace and his mercy. And what do we do? Like Jake, we go our own way. We go astray. What happens then? Notice in Jude chapter 24 and 25, as he closes out his book, he breaks out in song and he says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. This is what Jesus is doing this Christmas for you and I. The God who is bigger and better than our sin and Satan himself is doing something. Notice the first word there, now to him. To who? To you? To me? No, to Jesus who is greater. Notice he is able. He is strong enough. He's mighty enough. He has enough equipment to do what he needs to do. What is it? To keep. God, keep you mighty men and women of the faith. God is able to keep us. Keep us from what? To keep us from sin, to keep us from Satan. And notice what he does. He is able to keep you from, help me out with the word, stumbling. Listen to me, church. On your own and on my own, we will never keep ourselves saved. Never. We could never keep ourselves saved. So who has to keep us saved? Jesus. 
And Jesus says here, I am able to keep you from stumbling. Literally what it is is I am able to protect you from screwing this thing up. Someone needs to hear this this morning. Someone got beat up by the devil this morning because last night you fell into that same sin, doing that same thing that you promised God you would never do again, and there you are doing it and enjoying it while you do it. And you're sitting there now beat up this morning going, why would God take me? Why would God want me? And God's sitting there saying, child, I'm bigger than that. I'm greater than that. And I'm going to keep you from screwing this thing up. And I'm going to get you to the finish line. Notice, now to him, Jesus, who is able to keep you from screwing it up, from stumbling... He's going to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. What the, the writer here, Jude, is saying is he's going to get you to the finish line. Jesus is going to save you to the finish line. You don't have to worry when you've given your life to Jesus Christ. The reason why you can have tidings of comfort and joy is because Jesus, who began a good work in you, is faithful to see it to completion. And so he's going to get you there. It may be ugly. It may not be fun. It may be filled with trials and tribulations. But you will get there. And notice, when you get there, you will get there with great joy. And here's why. Because when you stand before your maker, when you stand before the almighty, infinite, all-knowing judge, on your own, you will cower in the worst fear. You will be filled with the greatest shame. You will scream at the top of your lungs, remove me from the presence of a holy and righteous God. But what Christmas and what Christ gifted at Christmas does for each of his children is this. When you stand before your maker, you will stand, listen to me, church, to God be the glory with the confidence of Jesus Christ himself. No shame, no regret, no remorse, no sorrow, no pain, but with Jesus, you will stand there and say, I was lost, but Christ found me. I was dead, but Christ made me alive. I was blind, but Christ let me see. I was sin, and Christ took my sin on my behalf, placed it on himself, and what he put in exchange is his righteousness and goodness. And so we get to stand before the almighty presence of God with great joy. How is it that those who have gone astray under Satan's power can experience glad tidings of comfort and joy, as the song says? The answer is on what Christ did that Christmas. Christmas is the celebration. All that transpires of that little baby is Jesus' mockery of sin and Satan. And it says, I am bigger, I am greater than any temptation, any sin, or anything the devil can throw your way. So stand with confidence this Christmas, knowing that the one who did that saving faith, listen, didn't just do it in the past, but he's doing it now, and he'll do it until you see our Savior in heaven. It is then, when we grasp that truth, 
that we will be filled with tidings of comfort and joy. And so the writer says this in the song. Be blessed. But the only way we will be blessed, write this down, is that we will always be blessed when we rest on Jesus. You want comfort and joy this holiday season? Trust, rest, hope for, lean on Jesus alone. And when we do that, God won't cause us to escape all of our issues and struggles, but he will give us exactly what we need, not to stumble, but to present us once and for all before our maker, blameless in God's sight. If you need hope, if you need joy, if you need comfort this Christmas, the song, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, serves as an anthem for any troubled heart because it doesn't tell us what we did. It glories in what God did. Amen?